We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome into a week 11 edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Joaquin Iglesias, a college podcast. Nick Whalen here, as I have every week with Rotowire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie, also known as a wanted man in the Madison area. Uh, a man with a target on his back after a legal incident earlier today. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm still reeling from it, really, and uh, trying to figure it out. So, folks, uh, go to my car this afternoon to come to the, the Rotowire office to to record this podcast, and uh, I I sit my I sit down in my car, and uh, I look and I see there's a like a piece of paper or something under my under my windshield wiper, and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe it's a leaf, maybe it's something else, I don't know, but I go, and I I open up the, this uh, piece of loose leaf paper, and it says the dreaded, learn how to park. Brutal. 
And as a man who takes a lot of pride in, in how good he is at driving and parking and, you know, all that stuff, I'm, I'm totally beside him. Like, I'm so mad right now at this point. And there's, the problem is, like, there's nothing you can do when you're in this spot. Like, it's a totally anonymous thing. And, like, you can't, like, if you're parked in any sort of way that would warrant someone going up to your car and, and leaving that note, like, you probably were in the wrong a little bit. And it, so my ego's bruised in that sense. I didn't think it was as egregious as, to warrant a note like that. But, I mean, come on. Like, I can't find this person now like uh, to, like, have a screaming match at, at them or something. But, yeah, so n- now I'm just left, like wanting more I, I, i'm gonna get no satisfaction mm-hmm. out of this it's merely i'm the jerk who can't park my ego is bruised and there's not there's no recourse for me here i'm i'm just left uh empty-handed so i i don't think that i've ever been personally victimized by a situation like this i'm, I'm an okay parker i have a i have a rear backup camera you know that's really changed the game for me on, sure. on a car that i got about a year ago one who has just like loose leaf paper in their car to do this. Like nobody is going back up to their home or apartment to go grab paper and write this note. I don't carry a notebook and pen on me at all times. So that's, that's question number one. Question number two, how were you parked? How bad was it? Okay. So, so it's a, it was an, it's a parking lot that has like angle or row of like angle spots, you know? Mm -hmm. So you pull in at at an angle of difficulty. I, I mean, it was a really good spot. It was like the one like closest to the front door of, of my apartment building. And I think what happened was I just didn't pull in as far as I probably could have. And that's partially because, you know, they got those like little bumpers up on the front. And, you know, I don't want to get too close to that either. Fun so and it, it's a it's a uh, it's a fairly narrow parking lot. But either way, I probably just wasn't pulled in far enough, and and that other person must have just have must have been having a pretty rough day to where like my like my like C C plus graded parking job was enough to set them off to just (laughs) just yeah. How was the handwriting? Um, I think disturbingly neat is probably Mm -hmm. for for being written down like you know like hastily on 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 a hood of someone's car. Um, yeah, so maybe I shouldn't make this person mad again. You know, maybe I should watch yeah. my back a little bit because that, that was very measured handwriting. So do you park in the same spot every time? Because you could maybe try to smoke this person out and bait them into doing that again. And then, boom, you're hiding out in the trunk. You pop out <laughs> as they're writing it and you got them. So I I try to park in this one spot any any opportunity that I can. So hopefully... Um, post recording here, I can get I can get back in time. That space is still open. At, at which point, yes, the the stakeout is on. I'll be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, smearing the war paint on myself and, and be you know being fully ready to uh, to engage with with this person who uh, is just a big hater trying to ruin my Wednesday. Yeah, I I mean we've I think we've all been on the opposite side of this where you see someone who's parking horribly. Like I, I have never once considered doing anything about it. Even if no. that person was standing right there next to their car, I wouldn't even lower down the window and say anything to him. Like no. the level that it would have to get for me to actually retrieve a piece of paper, write a note. I have the worst handwriting in the world. I hate writing anything by hand. I'm not doing that. Get out of my car. It's it's not super warm in Wisconsin no. today. That that whole run of luck is over. Yep. Yeah, I, I think you are the victim here. That's the, that's if there's one thing to take away from this, you are the victim. 
Thank you. I needed people to understand that first and foremost as we get into the podcast that I've been victimized on a on a Wednesday. I've done nothing wrong, and and yet I've just been, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, completely railroaded by by um, by a stranger who will will not face justice for this. It's terrible. Almost certainly not. Uh, another thing to monitor throughout the podcast. I did take one of the brain pills. Yes. The, so the neuro this is Neuropeak. Okay. This is the Neuropeak. Uh, as you can see here, the supplement facts, um, it's lab verified, it's non-GMO, it contains no gluten, milk, eggs, fish, shellfish, tree nuts, peanuts, or wheat. So I, I don't know what this is actually comprised of. The main ingredient is gelatin, Science. I guess, rice flour, vegetable magnesium, stearate. Um, so yeah, I guess just kind of something to keep an eye on. You know, if I start making some really good points, I start sounding <laughs> a little more coherent than normal. Uh, we'll know that it worked. But as of now, I have not noticed much of a difference. I'm supplementing it with some coffee. Um, so how I many, we'll how many minutes in are you? Probably like 15. Okay. All right. 20. So I think it, sometime in the next 15 minutes or something, we're, we're going to start having yeah. some like Pulitzer worthy takes from you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If I start you know, speaking in tongues or something of that <laughs> nature, we'll know that it's working uh, on a much more negative note something a little bit closer to um, how we started the podcast with this, you know, this is kind of like the parking infraction of college football news. The schedule's not looking good for this week. We games are dropping like flies. The sec in particular has been hit uh, very hard. Georgia, Missouri canceled Bama, LSU. I should say postponed, postponed uh, Tennessee, A&M postponed Auburn, Mississippi state postponed in the big 10. We have Ohio state in Maryland, uh, that one just came through earlier on Wednesday. Uh, so some pretty big games in a week that's not exactly littered with huge matchups. Um, so, it, you know, it wasn't going to be, you know, a, a massive marquee week. We had some great games last week. Um, we'll get to those in a little bit. But, you know, it, it's a kind of a a down week in general. And, and now we, we lose some more games. The SEC is now down to three games as of Wednesday afternoon. And who knows if any of these will be canceled before the weekend arrives. But the SEC slate, as it stands right now, is Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, and South Carolina, Ole Miss. The biggest loser by far in this scenario is the good folks at CBS. Yes. <laughs> you know, but bless them. You know, it's their master's weekend. Like, it, it could have been an unbelievable weekend for, for CBS to, like, have have the masters there and then also, you know, get a mark, get, like, Bama LSU. Like, are you kidding me on top of all of that? Like, that would have been so perfect for for cbs and for you know sec fans alike because there's a lot if you you know make a venn diagram of sec fans they're also probably big golf guys or big masters guys uh watching watching the masters in class in my business 3000 class pretty chill um but yeah i mean it it is just such a, a bummer that um that yeah these games are getting i mean obviously for like reasons beyond just we don't get to have like the ultimate entertainment on a Saturday thing. Of course, it doesn't even need to be said at this point. Know. But no, we are the we are the victims. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. This Don't is the victim that. cast. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's something to monitor. Uh, you know, n- not only you know what the SEC, you know, how they proceed with with some of these teams. You know, now missing multiple games throughout the year, um, and now you know whether this continues to spread over the next couple of days as you know coronavirus continues to. Ravage the entire nation at this point. Uh, luckily, though, if we look at the Big Ten, Wisconsin is set to return this weekend. And I, I only feel like this is like 30% homerism talking about this because, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan 
was a game that as soon as Wisconsin Nebraska got postponed and Graham Mertz, you know, kicked this whole thing off with with getting COVID, the whole concern was not the Nebraska game. It wasn't the Purdue game last week that was also postponed. It was looking ahead to this Michigan game because at the time, Wisconsin and Mertz had looked phenomenal beating Illinois in the opener. And at the same time, Michigan had looked arguably even better handling Minnesota on the road. Right now, Wisconsin is a four and a half point favorite at Michigan on Saturday night. And we have no idea if Graham Mertz or Chase Wolf, the backup quarterback, is going to be available. So to me, that line says a lot more about the state of Michigan football than it even does Wisconsin at this point. Yeah, you know, I, I was just thinking about it. Um, and, you know, since, I, since I've been living in Madison since 2015, you know, Wisconsin and, and Michigan have played a handful of times. And each time going in, and I don't know if, if you know, your thoughts line up the same way as mine, but it's been pretty easy to tell which one of those two teams what was going to win going into that game. Like back in 2018, the, the night game at the big house, Michigan was playing really well. Wisconsin, not as much. So I was like, okay, this one could get ugly. And then mm-hmm. was it last year when uh, Jonathan Taylor just ran all over Michigan in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. yeah that that, was, like that a, one was over like midway through the second quarter. Yeah, and you, you, you felt like, Michigan was walking into their funeral that day for sure. Like it, you know, so it's been pretty like easy to, to get this game right. And, you know, if Mertz is playing four and a half points, even though it's on the road, man, I, I love Wisconsin in that spot. I mean, for just covering Like, I think they win by at least a touchdown and it could go into double digits. Like, I, I think that Michigan is really, really falling on, on hard times and, and things are slipping for, for Harbaugh right now. I mean, what, We've reached the point now where like the NFL rumors like aren't even just like remember he coached in the NFL. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, well like he probably is going to be coaching the NFL again pretty soon. Yeah, kind of a reverse Nick Saban situation for Harbaugh. Um, I mean, what does worry me a little bit is the lack of a Wisconsin-like ground game, uh, at least uh, to the level that we're used to. So if you're sure. relying on Danny Vandenboom, who I believe is like one for one career and hasn't thrown a pass since 2018. You can't expect much. It was and a touchdown, though, wasn't it? That is true. So 100% of the time that he throws the ball, it results in a touchdown historically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the past, I feel like if, if this scenario had happened last year, you'd be like, all right, we're just going to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor 45 to 55 times, and we're going to be fine. They don't necessarily have that uh, that luxury this year to, to fall back on. So I think that would that would level the playing field a little bit. But you know, if, if we knew that Graham Mertz was healthy and Wisconsin was fully ready to go and had, you know, weeks of practice ahead of this game. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Even at Michigan, um, this this would have the makings of a blowout because I mean, that that Michigan Minnesota game looks like such a huge outlier, <clears throat> excuse mm-hmm. me, especially for Michigan and, and somewhat for Minnesota as well. But, man, I don't I, I feel like we were just completely hoodwinked by that. Yes. It, you know, coming into the year, neither of us were in on Michigan and then they come out and they do that. But we, we weren't quite aware yet of how fraudulent uh, Minnesota was uh, as well. So that 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 win looked a lot um, in a vacuum that, than it does, you know, just a couple weeks removed from it. I guess like the only way I see Wisconsin losing this one is there is something to be said for Michigan having been able to play each of these last two weeks. Like they're in good game shape. They've been practicing. They haven't had a COVID issue. So Wisconsin, you know, the program was in pretty tough shape like this time a week ago. So with, you know, with Mertz, everyone, you know, having to isolate, you know, that's less practice time. Like if there's a little bit of, you know, rest versus rust here, it wouldn't shock me. But again, bottom line, I still think that Wisconsin is, 
far far the better side in this one. And as long as those um, factors don't really play that big of a role here, then I still stand by Wisconsin winning this one fairly comfortably. So sticking with the Big Ten for now, Penn State is 0-3. Those losses have come to Ohio State, Indiana, and now most recently uh, a pretty one-sided beatdown against Maryland, 35-19 last Saturday. Uh, I mean, this is... uh, that we, we know about the losses that they've had both due to injury and due to COVID, but uh, I mean, uh, maybe it's time we start praising Maryland and, and to his little brother, but at the same time, man, this is unbelievably disappointing start for Penn state, uh, regardless of, of some of the defections that they've had. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this is a year that, that Penn state will, will want to forget because I felt like coming into this year, if they were at full strength, that they had a legitimate chance to beat Ohio State and and make the playoff. If if everything was was right, you know, Journey Brown was playing, if Micah Parsons was playing, you know, all that all that. If Sean Clifford was playing to the level that he was a year ago, all of that it would have led me to believe that Penn State would have, would have at least had a, a case to make at the playoff. So the injuries, everything else, the the shoddy quarterback play thus far. All of that is just combined for this crazy 0-3 start that, you know, like you said, I mean, in, in hindsight, two of them are two top 10 teams, right? I mean, Indiana technically is a top 10 team now. Uh, Ohio State, of course, we know what they are. Uh, the, but I think getting shellacked by Maryland is a pretty tough pill to swallow, especially for a Penn State team that had really kind of enjoyed rubbing Maryland's face in the dirt basically since it's joining of the big 10 back mm-hmm. in 2014 like really really relishing it and in, in, in hanging up a big score on maryland so even you know even with all of that said you know penn state should have been able to beat maryland on, on saturday like talent wise it it's mm-hmm. it's that's that's where it's a tough tough loss for them to swallow and moving forward you know i think they're starting to have se- second thoughts about Sean Clifford being the starting quarterback there i think i saw some reports from earlier wednesday afternoon about Will Levis maybe getting some work, some work uh, with the starters? So we could have like two dueling quarterback competitions on the same field on Saturday with Penn State and Nebraska because Adrian Martinez has also not really um, held up his end of the bargain for the Cornhuskers. So yeah, it's, bottom line though um, for for Penn State, like where are you with them at, at this point? And as far as like the disappointment scale is concerned, is there anything else you can really add? No, I think you summed it up pretty well. And I, I do think right or wrong, if you're James Franklin and you're that program, you're pitching this as just this was a weird year. You know, we we weren't we weren't prepared for some of the losses that we had. We got blitzed a little bit in week one by Indiana. We had the worst possible week two matchup in Ohio State. And it's clear I think things have snowballed for them at this point. And I mean the problem with college football, or maybe not the problem, but the the way that it's set up is that if you start 0-3 it's kind of it. And I I think it's really hard, especially in a year like this where there are no fans, you know, if if you have a start like that, I think it's really, really difficult to claw your way back and force yourself to get up for a a game against Maryland that, you know, whether you win it or not, it's not going to get you into the college football playoff, you know? So to start 0-2 in a year like this, when you have those expectations is, is pretty demoralizing. So, you know, it's James Franklin's job to make sure that the players don't hit the reset button mid season, but sure. It's if it's almost impossible if you're a Penn State fan to not just kind of scrap this season and start looking to next year. Yeah, you, if you're a Penn State fan, like you're nowhere near existential crisis mode. Like, yes, yeah. this year is like worst case scenario, but that program is still in a, in a really great place, all things considered. So, yeah. I mean, 
you know, I have no doubt that they'll be back to being a fringe top 10 team mm-hmm. next year. It's just that, yeah, they seem to be like the, there was going to be some team that really got uh, railroaded this year in a way that no one really saw coming. I think like the LSU hangover was a little bit predictable, not maybe to this extent, yeah. but it was still like, man, they did lose everybody and they just came off like the craziest year where mm-hmm. everything went right. Like things might come back to earth a little bit, but like there was going to be some team that, that, you know, was unexpectedly just kind of like, you know, taken down by, by, by all of this. And it, it ended up being Penn state. So, um, I think you made a really great, great point too, for, on like a human level. If you're just a player out there, there's so much, um, emphasis placed on making the playoff, especially with, with Penn state. Cause that's like kind of your next step in your program's, you know, path, mm-hmm. at least you think. And now you're, that's completely off the table and you're not playing in front of any fans and the weather sucks. And yeah, it just, it, it snowballs into just being a very dreary, you know, final uh, five games of the season Mm -hmm. for you. I will say though, if there's ever a year to have uh, a season like this, it's this one, right? You know, if you, if you said like, all right, we're going to have one year where we go like three and six, you would want it to be the one that's in a pandemic when there's no fans and it just kind of feels weird anyway. So I, I don't think it's the end of the world for Penn State by any means. Yeah. Um, and it, same same for Michigan to some degree, although, you know, with Michigan, you've kind of had this steady downward trend and it's all felt like it's maybe building up to a season like this. Whereas with Penn State, this did kind of come out of nowhere. And I think we'll look back in a few years and this season will be the outlier, whereas I'm not sure we can say that for Michigan. Great way to put it. All right, let's look at the rankings now uh, heading into week 11. So we have Alabama back at number one, Notre Dame at number two, Ohio State at number three. Clemson uh, only falls to number four, understandably. And, and that's where, you know, after that, it gets a little a little wacky. You got Texas A&M at five, Florida six, Cincy seven, BYU eight, Miami, very quietly crawling back up to nine after a, a high-scoring win this past weekend, and then Indiana at 10. So right now, I mean, the, the, the top of the playoff picture, I think, looks about like what you would expect. Um, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson. One, are are you fine with with Clemson still being in there, being excuse me, being in here at number four, and you know still kind of being in command um, as far as you know making the playoff if it were to win out? Um, essentially, the question is, how much do you penalize a team, if at all, for losing a close game in overtime to a very good team, the number two team in the country, without your starting quarterback, even if you have the number one five star freshman to take over? Right. You know, if you're the committee, how do you value that? Yeah, that's that's um, yeah, a lot, a lot to get there, a lot to get to there. But I mean, when it comes to Clemson, like, are you going to with a straight face put Florida ahead of them who lost to Texas A and M? No. Are you going to put Texas A and M ahead of Clemson? No. I mean, A and M definitely like technically has the better loss of the two, but by a very thin margin, having lost to Alabama, but certainly a lot more convincing what was their loss than than Clemson's overtime loss in South Bend on Saturday night in front of fans. So I think it's clear that you have to put Clemson at four, like penalize them a little bit. But I mean, let's not kid ourselves if you're the committee like. Clemson is still one of the four best teams in the country, whether it's with DJ Uyongalele or with Trevor Lawrence. With Trevor Lawrence, they're probably the best team in the, in the country. So um, they would need to lose again to, to miss the playoff. I, I think that they will basically get a mulligan for, for that loss being on the – I mean, it was a tough enough game as it was, and then not having Trevor Lawrence, I think, you know, kind of tilted the scales. Even though you could look at DJU's numbers and be like, how much better would have Trevor Lawrence had, had done? Statistically, maybe not even that much better, but I think that 
the command of the game, the, the, the respect that the defense would have had to give to Trevor Lawrence and what that offense can do when he's out there, it would have changed the complexion of that game. And, and it would have made, uh, I think Clemson would, it would have won that game, but yeah, it looks like Notre Dame kind of has a, a path and they almost have the built-in excuse of losing to Clemson in the ACC championship game and still having an argument to get in. Yeah. That's, what's going to be really interesting if it does come down to that, because like, let's say Clemson wins that game by three touchdowns with Trevor Lawrence you know, that answers the question for Clemson resoundingly. Mm-hmm. And then it mm-hmm. creates a question for Notre Dame. And it, it kind of flips the the scenario where then you're choosing between maybe a one loss Notre Dame that has beaten Clemson, but a reduced version of Clemson or potentially another one loss SEC team like an A&M, like a Florida or, you know, undefeated BYU, undefeated Cincinnati, maybe an undefeated Oregon, whatever it might be. Um, so it's setting up to be really interesting. I, I'd feel very good if I'm Alabama. I'd feel very good if I'm Ohio State. You know, those teams have the path. Uh, to get where they want to be. But uh, I would also be fine with with those four, if that's what it is going forward. You know, assuming none of those four trip up, I, I do feel like there's a pretty good case uh, based on what we've seen so far that those are the four best teams in football. And again, maybe one of these Pac-12 teams or another team from the Big Ten uh, really is able to assert itself. But in a year that ha- has had so many weird things happen, I, I don't think you could look at that field and say, this looks out of place. You know, I, I think... Those are four of the five or six best teams that everybody would have had on paper going in. And if that ends up being the field, I, I don't think there'll be a lot of complaining. No, that would have been three out of the four, three out of the four playoff teams from the, um, from the 2018 year and three out of the four from last season, correct? Or yeah. no, Bama didn't make it last year. So it was LSU. No, right. yeah. yeah. So LSU and you're Oklahoma. Right. So yeah, really, I mean, Oklahoma had a really golden chance to to be that number four team that, this year, but they, I mean, they, you know, blew that pretty early on. So it does feel like those are the four best teams. A um, mm-hmm. and M, their path is a little bit trickier because they're behind the eight ball as far as getting to Atlanta is concerned because they've lost to Alabama. So that that's going to make it next to impossible for them to to get in unless Alabama loses one more time. Um, yeah, well, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, yeah, which so of these teams that are now, you know, if there's the the fabled in the hunt graphic right now, mm-hmm. which of those teams would you bet, you know, to to maybe displace one of those other four teams that we just talked about? You know, whether it would be maybe a Florida winning the SEC title game over Alabama or one of those teams like Cincinnati or BYU or, or you know, even Miami or Oregon ultimately putting together a resume that would end up rivaling a one loss Clemson or, or potentially a one loss Notre Dame by the end of it. Yeah, I guess first of all, remove um, Miami from the discussion. Like, I, I just don't. I, they're number nine, yes, but I don't believe that they're anywhere close to like. I think there's a clear drop off um, after after number eight, BYU. Really, um, Florida, I think, has the noise. They've basically clinched the East at this point, so they're going to be able to make it to Atlanta to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if they can win that game, then it's hard to keep them out. And their only loss coming on the road against A&M, that loss that keeps looking better and better every single week. So I think Florida has like the most cut and dried. If they take care of their business, they they will get into the playoff. Um, Cincinnati, it just, I hate it for them because they are an incredible team. Like they are blowing the brakes are blowing the doors off of everybody that they're, that they're going up against. I, I love them against the spread this week and that they have to cover like almost four touchdowns and I still love it. Um, they're great. It's just the committee's just not going to put in a group of five team. I don't, as long as there's four teams and, and like 
you have teams like Bama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida, like it's going to be it's going to take too much to like vault a group of five team into that mix. Unfortunately, I think BYU would if if they finish up undefeated, I think the committee might end up even ranking them ahead of Cincinnati, unfortunately. Well, that was going to be my next question is what would it actually take for one of those teams to sneak in? And I think Cincinnati and BYU in particular have benefited from the Big 12 kind of beating itself up. And, you know, it doesn't look like they're, you know, the Big 12 has no team ranked higher than I think, what, 14, Oklahoma State. So they're out of it. I, I think the one, maybe one of the underlying kind of strange issues is the lack of quality depth for teams in the SEC, like LSU being down, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I think BYU or Cincinnati almost needed the SEC to do what the Big 12 has and kind of beat each other up. Whereas you look at the path that Florida has the rest of the way, you look at the path that Alabama has, pretty hard to see either of those teams losing. And, you know, one of them is going to get in and perhaps both based on the result of the SEC title game. So you just, you don't really have that that really difficult path for the teams ahead of them. And you can kind of say the same for Notre Dame and Clemson now. Like neither of those teams should lose the rest of the way. So if you're Cincinnati or BYU, you're basically rooting for a major upset the rest of the way. I, I think that's kind of the only way it happens. Like these teams, and this is often the case for a group of five, but they don't really control their own destiny. No, no, it definitely comes down to what the Blue Bloods ahead of them are able to do or not do. So that is a great point about the Big 12. They, they kind of took care of their part of the, of the, or their end of the deal as far as like if you're trying to get a, a group of five team in. But yeah, the SEC not being nearly as deep. It's really like a three and a half team league at this point. You know, you got Bama, you got Florida, you got A&M, mm-hmm. and then kind of Georgia maybe still. I don't know. But like everyone else well, is is pretty bad. I feel, I feel like in the sec. So, um, you, you don't feel too scared for, um, Bama or Florida or, or A&M tripping up the rest of the way. Well, that leads us into the beloved Georgia Bulldogs who hmm. trailed 38 to 21 at half against Florida this past week. The defense uh, is an issue. The quarterback yeah. play, perhaps an even bigger issue. Uh, we saw uh, Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett combined to go nine of 29 for 112 yards, two touchdowns and three egregious interceptions, uh, yep. almost all three of which had uh, varying degrees of comedic value. Um, meanwhile, you know, for Florida, it was, it was just kind of a cruise control type of day. And, you know, they only scored six points in the second half, but they held Georgia to seven points in the second yep. half. And the, the dogs were really just never able to get it going whatsoever. It was a, a ball control game for Florida. You know, they kind of just ran it out. Uh, in the second half but for you is this more of a just complete disappointment by Georgia or a tone setting game for Florida I've been wrestling with with what to make of this game I think at once Georgia's quarterback situation is such that they were never going to beat a good team this year and that that's really the the biggest answer that's been taken away from it for Georgia is you know like can they win with just defense and running the ball uh, you know, they open the play running the ball, 75-yard touchdown for Zamir White. They have a 14-point lead by like five minutes, at four minutes into the game. Maybe that might even be um, conservative. Like it might have been quicker than that. But at no point did it feel like Florida was not ready to take the next punch. And you felt like Georgia needed to keep a lid on this to like 27 or so points to have a shot. And it just wasn't really in the cards the way that, that Florida – Florida found the the flaws in that defense. So, I mean, Florida, I don't think like to a man, they're as talented as Georgia, but they are more, way more talented at the most important position on the field at quarterback. I mean, Kyle Trask was comfortable the whole day. I felt like the pass rush wasn't really getting to him. 
And I think you also uh, have to credit the the offensive game plan that, that Florida had where they knew that Georgia was going to do everything in its power to take away Ky- uh, Kyle Pitts. It did un- in an unfortunate way. And then uh, Kadarius Toney. So a lot of the defensive attention being taken to those two playmakers and just kind of counting on your linebackers to cover, that are banged up, by the way. Like Monty Rice is like in a walking boot five days out of the week, and then he suits up on Saturdays. Asking them to like cover like the the wheel routes by the running backs out of the backfield, that was like such like a glaring issue for Georgia that they clearly did not account for. And Florida knew that they could get Georgia that way, and they just kept going to the wheel routes over and over out of the backfield and just gashing Georgia's defense that way. And and then Georgia's on its heels, and then you can use the other playmakers um, that you have, like Kyle Pitts or Kadarius Toney. So, I mean, Florida did a great job of making this defense look pedestrian. And I think the defense tries to make too many plays because they, the offense is as bad as it, as we know it is. So it's just a huge confluence of things. I sounded pretty pessimistic last week because I was, and, and, you know, it ended up bearing out. I am surprised at how exposed the defense has looked in the two big games against both Alabama and Florida, Florida, it all, it all happened in the first half, Bama, it all happened in the, in the second half. I don't know what to make of that, but either way, this Georgia team doesn't have it. I, I'm in like Penn State mode with them. Like throw it out with mm-hmm. the wash, and and we'll we'll see you again next year. Yeah, no, that's a great comp. They're they're firmly in Penn State territory. They're not in Michigan territory. They certainly are not in Florida State territory. Uh, the dogs will be back next year, yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, where do you want to go elsewhere in Week Ten? Um, let's see here. Uh, the the Virginia Tech Liberty game uh, had a pretty wild ending. Some some uh, questionable coaching decisions by by one Justin Fuente. Um, led his Hokies to be outfoxed by one Hugh Freeze's, uh, you know, Liberty Flames. Very impressive stuff for, from from Liberty getting that ranked win. A little bit of uh, some local bragging rights, uh, you know, both of those being uh, Virginia schools, you know, so there, there's a little bit of something to be said for that. Um, so good stuff there. Um, oh, yeah, one, one more thing about the just the kind of craziness of the Georgia game um, and the derangement of, of the average college football fan. So, you know this, I belong to a certain website's Georgia message boards. Uh, on Monday, there were titles to threads along the lines of what would it take to get Dabo to Athens? Dabo and, Swinney? Yeah, the Dabo Swinney. Mm. Uh, so That's a good th- question. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess it, yeah, like, how do you answer that? But, um, also the kidnapping scenario, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not that far away from Georgia. So, like, you, you could theoretically pull that off. Um, I feel like I've incriminated myself on this podcast today enough already. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, that just goes to show you just how, uh, how unhinged some, some fans can be and, like, uh, debased from, from reality. It's like, there, there's so many reasons, so many ways in which the, how can we get Dabo to Athens question it is just like fatally, horribly flawed. Well, I mean, he might be on the hot seat after this past week. Oh, sure. No. Maybe, maybe Clemson's looking to push yeah, him out. Once Trevor Lawrence leaves, you know, he's yeah. going to have nothing left. So yeah, might as well just leave. Yeah, it's all fun and games when you get to coach Watson and Lawrence. And, you know, I guess if we want to count Taj Boyd. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Pac-12, which made its return. Uh, kind of a soft opening, I think, sure. to the Pac-12. We had a couple games canceled. Arizona, Utah, and Washington, Cal uh, ended up being postponed. 
But we did get Washington State over Oregon State. We got an exciting Colorado 48, UCLA 42. Uh, we got Oregon over Stanford 35-14, a relatively easy one for the Ducks. Uh, and I think the most exciting game was USC Arizona State 28-27. Uh, Keaton Slovis hucking the ball 55 times in this one. Um, a little bit of an ugly game, honestly, for both teams. It was one where USC had to throw the ball 55 times for a reason. I don't know if that was actually the game plan, but uh, Slovis found Drake London late in the fourth quarter on a fourth down play uh, to ultimately put USC ahead in this one and, and start the Trojans off on the right foot. Yeah, so very impressive stuff from USC. I felt like that game was sort of like the crucial game of the Pac-12 South's entire season just because I'm a little bit lower on Utah this year we went over that last week but yeah that that ended up being an amazing game and you know it was weird seeing Pac-12 football on my TV at 11 a.m. I was like man like you know I feel feel bad for those West Coast students you know having to get up that early for for a game but you know they were they were rewarded for it they were treated to a good game uh USC showed some pretty horrendous flaws on defense especially against the run i mean arizona state they lost eno benjamin they had like basically no one with any carries so they they had um two freshman uh running backs and, and one other kind of relative unknown just absolutely gashing them on the ground um so that that was surprising that's going to be something that usc needs to address but offensively they don't need the run game when they have keaton slovis back there and you have Brew McCoy, you have Amon Ross St. Brown, you have Drake London. Like, those are just ridiculous weapons to get the ball to. So, I, you know, I'm all for this, you know, Graham Harrell offense just saying, yeah, we're just going to throw it. Uh, the run game, hmm, you know, like, just keep it like, uh, you know, how he was at North Texas a couple of years ago and, and just let that baby fly. All right. Before we look ahead to week 11, we're to the point in the year where we can start doing weekly Heisman check ins and it doesn't feel like we're jumping the gun at all. Sure. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, according to the DraftKings Sportsbook, are the co-favorites right now. They're both at plus 175. Mac Jones, very close behind. He's at plus 200. You can get Kyle Trask at 8-1. to one. You can get Zach Wilson uh, at BYU at 16-1, to one, which I really like. Ian Book, 50-1. to one. Uh, Deer King, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Sam Ellinger, Kellen Mond, Brock Purdy, Spencer Rattler, and Travis Etienne are the other names on the board. Like I said, I... I if you're going to look outside that top three where there's just not a ton of value, you know, you're looking at two to one or lower. Um, I would, I would be comfortable throwing some money at Zach Wilson just because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of how many games Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence might end up missing. You know, we expect Trevor Lawrence to be back after the bye week but who really knows? And if he misses one more game, maybe that's enough to knock him out. And, and Zach Wilson, you know, he's already played eight games uh, and, you know, things have been moving along pretty well for BYU and for that conference. So I don't know. I, to me, I think based on how well he's played, based on the fact that BYU is undefeated, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that there's that big of a gap between that top three. And, you know, those are all the biggest stars in college football. They're playing for the biggest teams. I understand that. But, you know, plus 175 down to 16 to one. Like, to me, it, it, it should be closer than that. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Just like in terms of, you know, he. It's hard to see him necessarily overtaking a Fields or a Lawrence, but I think if there was one candidate to do it, I would like Wilson over Mac Jones or Kyle Trask. I mean, he's going to, you know, Mac Jones will, of course, ha have his case. It, you know, like I'm not saying I'm not saying anything 
contrary to that, but like Wilson is like the entire reason why BYU is going to go undefeated this year. And he's putting up just absolutely ridiculous numbers. Again, he's completing like almost 75% of his passes, uh, 21 to two touchdown to interception rate. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. I mean, his performance against Boise state on Friday night last week, I think we talked about it being like his final kind of hurdle test, whatever you want to say, a, a way for him to kind of put his name on the, in the national spotlight. And he delivered. I mean, he delivered amazingly. I mean, he had, what, three total touchdowns, completed almost 80% of his passes, steamrolled Boise State in Boise. Like, that's not an easy feat um, to to accomplish. So I, I definitely like Zach Wilson. As, like, as far as those long shots are concerned, he really, really sticks out. Um, I don't think that that book as the season continues, I think we'll just kind of see where he's not the reason why Notre Dame is where they are. He's he's definitely a good player, but I think that they, they have a lot else going on as to why that they, they are in the position they're in. Derek King, I think there's at least one or two more losses for, for Miami. Uh, Devontae Smith, you know, electric receiver, probably the Bolitnikoff, but, um, you know, not, not the high. He's not having like the, the Heisman type of season. So, yeah, it's basically Lawrence and Fields and then – a drop off. And then, yeah, I like Zach Wilson. I mean, again, Jones Trask in there, but I think Zach Wilson, it'd be like that, that interesting one that you circle there. So I think I like that call a lot. All right. Any games on the week 11 slate that you want to highlight for DFS purposes? Um, for DFS, um, let's see here. So USC, Arizona, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. We just talked about USC's passing game just being absolutely locked in, you know, high efficiency, high volume. We love that Arizona playing in its first game. So I think Arizona is a little bit behind the eight ball here, but did talk about how much I liked Arizona's offense last week. Um, you know, Grant Gannell is, I think a very impressive quarterback or going to be um, this, this uh, Arizona run game will be interesting to see how, how they end up kind of doing the rotation because whoever ends up getting the bulk of the carries for Arizona, I think is going to be able to put up a lot of yards. I think it's going to be Gary Brightwell. That's kind of where it's pointing, but um, you know, we'll need to make sure of that before Saturday, but either way, a lot of points on either side of USC, Arizona. So I like that game, uh, Virginia tech, Miami, um, that one, a lot of bad run defense versus a lot of really good rushing offense. So that's going to be an absolute blast of a game. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Virginia, Louisville, Another couple of teams that really struggle against the pass. So I like the pass catchers in both of those. Uh, we also get treated to, I mean, we do have like four cancellations off this like 14 game slate. So, I mean, it's trimmed down to 10 pretty fast here. And it wouldn't shock me if we if we lost another one along the way. But we get Marshall back. We get Marshall on, on a main slate. We get Grant Wells' redemption. Uh, he hasn't had to redeem himself from anything. He's been pretty tremendous since we last checked in on, on Grant Wells um, going up against Middle Tennessee. They're pretty heavy favorites in that one. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of run game uh, possibilities for Marshall here. I don't really think that they're going to need Wells to light it up through the air, um, but that's a game to pay attention to, or at least a side to pay attention to. And then uh, I don't know like what North Carolina needs to do to get more respect from, from DK and, and the betting public, but like, I know they've lost a couple of games too, so I mean that that's admitting that fully. But UNC is legit, and and I think that they're going to continue mm. to steamroll on offense this week. And uh, they're going up against Wake Forest. I really like that matchup for them as well. So those are the the games and, and specific sides that that I like for for attacking DFS this week. 
All right, you mentioned Grant Wells. Let's look at the quarterbacks. He is the third highest priced quarterback this week. He's at 8,900. You got Jarrett King at 93. Hendon Hooker, the highest priced player on the slate overall uh, at Virginia Tech. Uh, huge totals, though, uh, on, on either side of that Virginia Tech Miami game, uh, over under of 67. You know, both teams implied total hovering right around 33, 34 points. Another huge game for Jarrett King uh, against NC State last week. I, I, are you riding with him at 93? I think so. I think if you can pull it off, I think and that there are ways to do it. You got to go pretty cheap in some spots. But I do think that um, doing a game stack with Hendon Hooker and uh, with with Derek King as your quarterback and your super flex is going to be something to, to give a look at. I, I think that that's you're locking in so much like the two best rushing quarterbacks in the country. Basically you're locking in both of them. Both of them have really good matchups here. Both of them uh, have proven the ability to hooker to a lesser extent, but King can definitely sling it. I mean, he's, I think he threw five touchdowns last week or something, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, he's, he seems to be clicking with those pass catchers at Miami. Hooker has an interesting cast of, of characters around him offensively. And, you know, they're, uh, bargains enough to where you can potentially even stack them a little bit here too. And I think with Khalil Herbert being a little bit banged up for Virginia Tech, more of that rushing onus goes to Hendon Hooker. So love those two guys. I know that paying up for quarterback isn't really our MO on this show, but I think this week it, it, it's going to pay off. Any interest in Keaton Slovis after what you saw last week? I mean, I know we already highlighted USC, Arizona. Uh, I think that's the game with the highest over under on the entire board at 67 and a half. It's, it's, you know, expected to be a pretty one-sided affair. Uh, but based on what we saw from USC's defense last week, I almost feel like that makes me feel better about this game because I think there's a chance Arizona can hang around. I mean, this is already a game that has USC at over 40 points implied total. If they're giving up 20 to 30 points to Arizona, I mean, this is one where, you know, we could see them kind of have to be foot on the pedal all the way through into the fourth quarter. Yes, and that so that would set up beautifully. So that that again is one of the reasons why I like this game so much. I think you you summed it up really succinctly there. Um, so yeah, Keaton Slovis, if he's going to be dropping back fifty five times and he's going to be completing like over seventy percent of those dropbacks with a really high YPA on top of it, how do you not like him at, at eighty six hundred? You know, you feel like as much as we love Grant Wells, and we do. Marshall is just they're going to steamroll Middle Tennessee to to a point where like they're not going to need Grant Wells late in the late into this game. And they're going to be running the ball a lot to begin with. And, and you know, Wells probably only going to be throwing it 22 to 25 times. So you're getting, you know, almost twice as many pass attempts from Keaton Slovis for three hundred dollars less. And, and both offer varying levels of mobility. You're not you're not really getting that for, from Slovis too much, but that's completely OK. I think at, at eighty six hundred, that makes a ton of sense. Sean Clifford, like we mentioned, um, with that report out of Penn State, looking like he might be rotating. He might be losing the starting job entirely. We'll see. Um, so sinking 8,300 into him against Nebraska, not advisable. Um, Mikhail Cunningham, I do like a fair – Mikhail Cunningham and Sam Howell, both at 8,100 and 8K respectively, um, both really interesting in their respective matchups. I mean, again, Virginia, really, really terrible against the pass, um, giving up 9.9 yards per attempt through the air, um, 312 passing yards per game. Um, that's what the Virginia defense is bringing to the table right now. So that's pretty terrible. Um, you can definitely take advantage of that with by using those guys. I'm intrigued by Ian Book being down at 7K. Um, that seems like a, an underpriced, but I don't know. There, there could be like a, a bit of a, 
a sleepwalk effect, I feel like, for, for Notre Dame this week. They're going up on the road against Boston College. Boston College has a lot of flaws to it, so Notre Dame coming off the big win, I don't expect them to be at their crispest necessarily. I could see this one being a little bit sluggish. I could see Boston College hanging around in this one, so I don't like Ian Book even at that reduced price tag. Um, if you need to really go uh, low at quarterback, Asher O'Hara, kind of one of like the fantasy all-stars coming into the season, um, has that really nice rushing ability. Passing ability is pretty suspect. He's probably going to have some turnovers in this game. Marshall's defense is legit, but he's just 6,600. He's the complete engine of this Middle Tennessee offense. He's basically their entire run game in addition to being their entire pass game. So if you need to, and I don't think there's going to be a particularly high roster percentage on him, I think O'Hara is at least interesting at where he checks in. A lot of run or bad run defenses, I should say, to target this week. Uh, and one guy that our our optimizer and our value report on rotowire.com really likes is Cameron Harris at Miami. Uh, not a huge game last week by any means. Not a huge game two weeks ago. Only had eight, eight rushes for eight yards against that Virginia defense. Um, most of his big games and most of his production came early in the year against UAB, against Louisville, against Florida State. He found the end zone a couple of times. It's been really, you know, three of the last four weeks for him, pretty disappointing. And, and even his standout game in that span, uh, he, he found the end zone, you know, uh, through the air, but got nothing going on the ground against Pittsburgh. What is it about Cameron Harris this week uh, that that our projections love so much? I think it, it's the track record coupled with the matchup. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, at Clemson, that was a terrible spot for for him. I think it was like pouring rain too. So I mean, there there was just nothing that was nothing good was going to come out of that game for Cameron Harris. So I'll write that one off. Um, as far as like the matchup against Pitt is concerned, Pitt really does have one of the best run defenses in the country. So obviously, it's not great that that Cameron Harris averaged two yards per carry over twelve carries against Pitt, but I'm not going to hold that against him too much. The Virginia one, a bit of a head scratcher, got back into the mix a little bit last week with the 15 carries. I at least take that as a positive sign that the volume is going to start coming back his way. And then just like the bottom line of this um, for this slate, the the run defense being so poor um, for Virginia Tech, they're one of the three teams giving up or one of four teams giving up over 200 rushing yards per game and over five yards per carry. So this sets up extremely well for, for a Harris bounce back. And at, at 6K, I know that he's he's probably, you know, burned you here in the past and 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 all that but if you're looking at this board and now you get you know guys like Isaiah Spiller and Tank Bigsby and Aeneas Smith um, all kind of taken away from you you your options are a little bit more limited and Devin Ford the way that he played last week it's like okay can I really trust him I mean he was terrible against Maryland so Michael Carter and and Cameron Harris to me are like those two guys in that 6100 to 5900 range that actually have some legit upside, have some floor to go with their ceiling. I like them a fair bit. Stephen Carr, I worry that USC is just going to throw the ball too much. Carr did get seven targets last week, which is encouraging. Didn't do basically anything with them, though. But, you know, empty calories are still calories for DFS production. Um, So if he's getting like four or five catches on, on top of like eight or nine or even 10 carries, then I think Carr might be able to hit some value for you um, at 6,200. But yeah, like the mid tier has really been hit hard by this, by all the postponements. So you're either paying up for your guys like 
Javante Williams, who's obviously just like automatic for North Carolina, gets all the touchdowns in the world. Uh, I, I cast my doubts about Notre Dame a little bit this week, so Kyron Williams probably not as much on my radar. Brendan Knox, I do love though at 8,500. You know, you might say like, you know, who's this Marshall guy? He's ridiculous. He's going to run all over Marshall, or I'm sorry, all over Middle Tennessee. I think he's going to see you know tw- anywhere between 22, 27 carries and just ripping off chunk yardage with each of them. They're not going to enjoy tackling him. So I do like Brendan Knox a fair bit, and, and Javian Hawkins as well at 8,300. As far as like the, the upper-tier running backs, there are guys to choose from, but um, there's also those guys a little bit further down that, that are worth some consideration too. All right, what about at the receiver position? You have a, a pretty stark contrast at the top with Jahan Dotson uh, at Penn State at 8,800, the next highest-priced player, uh, you go to Deami Brown at UNC at 7,100. Massive difference between one and two. How many people do you think you know are, are able to take the bait at that price? Yeah, I mean it, it's tough to go um, to like see that that price differential from from Dotson down to that next guy, Deami Brown. It being 1,700 dollars. I know that Wake Forest has been okay against the past this year, but I mean Deami Brown is going to continue to eat. He's been eating all year. That's not going to change. So. I like him a ton. Dotson, you got the shaky quarterback situation too. So I think that if nothing else, Dotson's roster percentage will be down like at like 15% in tournaments or something like that. I don't think that we're going to see him be locked in the way that he was a week ago against Maryland, where like if you could, you probably had him in your lineup. Um, So I I advise going a little bit cheaper at receiver this week, especially because I don't love the, the bargain bin at running back. I think it's easier to find those darts at the receiver spot. So that's kind of the way that I'm leaning. So the most expensive receiver that I'm actually like definitely targeting is Amon Ross St. Brown. Again, amazing matchup. We, we already know the the kind of rapport that he has with Slovis. He has a game of, of sample to work with Arizona does not. So their, their defense is going to be, you know, in trouble that, you know, getting their keys right and everything. So I think it's going to be a long day for that defense in Arizona. Should be good for Amon Ross St. Brown. Same goes for Drake London. He's under 6K. Brew McCoy um, just at like 4K or something like that. So all three of those guys I'm comfortable with using. I would even use two or three of them in a lineup with with Slovis. I'm that confident in that USC passing game. 2-2 Atwell. I think Virginia is very, very susceptible through the air. So if you like Mikhail Cunningham, then you have to like 2-2 Atwell. And Atwell just at 6,500, that's really um, not bad at all as far as paying up for a wide receiver one potential type of guy. So I like him a fair bit. Um, Looking elsewhere, Parker Washington, if you want to get a piece of that Penn State passing game, He's pretty legit. I mean, he's a freshman, but he's caught a bunch of tight or touchdowns so far. I, I expect him to catch at least one more again this week. He see, that seems to be like kind of his thing. He's a touchdown machine. So I like him. RJ Sneed, interesting from a target share perspective. He does get a fair amount of targets in that Baylor offense. Uh, the Baylor offense, not all that explosive. So he's just at like seven yards per target, but he's getting almost nine targets per game. So if you need something in that mid tier at like 5K, I think that Snead makes a little bit of sense. Um, Jamari Joyner on the other side of the USC-Arizona game, I think he's going to be that number one target for the Wildcats in that passing game, so look to him. And then one dart to throw out there on the other side of that Marshall game is Middle Tennessee State receiver Jaron Pierce. He's getting almost a third of their targets, so I don't expect him to be explosive with those targets, but he's got like you know close to a 30% target share. It's full-point PPR. 
I think that he should be able to to really hit value nicely for you at, at 3,800. So he provides some cap relief for you um, on the lower end at, at receiver. All right, what do you say we talk some bets yes. for Week 11? And I want to start Last Friday night. Good. It was. Last night, or we have Friday night, East Carolina at Cincinnati. That's number seven, Cincinnati. Probably not going to be a back-and-forth game by any means, but that's what betting is for. That's why we handicap these. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati is a 27.5-point favorite over the Pirates, the one in five Pirates, over under on that one, 56 and a half. What is your lean on Cincinnati? I think Cincinnati crushes them. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to find a number right now that I don't like Cincinnati at. You know, it, they were just two touchdown favorites roughly against Houston a week ago, uh, took care of business pretty easily there. Uh, you got basically a four touchdown line here for Cincinnati to cover. East Carolina has a little bit of punch in their offense, but it's not going to really do anything against Cincinnati's defense. And Cincinnati's offense is rolling right now. And East Carolina's defense, quite the opposite. So even though it's a it's a it's a big number, I I totally like East Carolina. I'm sorry, I totally like Cincinnati here to to cover this one. I think that again, there's just not a number against an American Athletic Conference team that I wouldn't like Cincy at at this point. How about that North Carolina Wake Forest game? So I'll go back to the well on UNC. I thought that they were a bargain last week. I thought that they were they should have been closer to like two touchdown favorites against Duke. They came out and absolutely throttled Duke, and yet they're only 13.5-point favorites against Wake. I don't think Wake's a particularly good team. They have some interesting pieces, of course. That, that's been a thing for them for quite a while, but this is still a UNC team that, pe- you know, hashtag people forget that, you know, they were a top-10 team at one point this season. That They've had a couple bad losses, of course, but I still think that UNC is a very, very strong team. That I mean, they're probably the best two-loss team in the country. I, I would argue that's not like the you don't get a prize for that. I don't think, but still. Um, so again, their offense is rolling. I think their defense has enough to it, and they're playing with some confidence now after last week to where I like UNC to cover two touchdowns against Wake. All right, real quickly, any others as we look through the Week Eleven slate? Yes. So I like App State minus sixteen. They're at home. They're going up against Georgia State. Georgia State, just not that good of a team. App State, extremely uh, well-coached, um, really talented for Sunbelt purposes. I think that they, they will take care of business by uh, by more than 16, so I like them. I like USC, minus 14 at Arizona. I know it's a big road favorite, and I know that USC might have not inspired a ton of confidence last week, but I think Arizona's going to be bad. And I think that they, the fact that they haven't played a game yet, I think adds a little bit of extra value to to USC for this week. Um, same goes with like Arizona State minus four against Cal. I think Arizona State. Um, the only question for them was, are they going to be able to run the ball with no Eno Benjamin? They clearly answered that. They still have Jaden Daniels. Uh, they need to find a playmaker at receiver. But I do like this Arizona State team. They're they're playing against an inexperienced Cal team that that again did not play last weekend. So I like that. And then rounding it out, Wisconsin. Roll badge, minus four. I'm seeing that line at four and a half. And I'm wondering if that's in reaction to the belief that Graham Mertz, you know, could be available based on the timing. Um, and, and if he's ultimately ruled in, that that number could swell maybe even a little bit more. Yeah. I'm with you on Wisconsin. If that stays in the four or five range, uh, I, I like the Badgers, especially if they have Mertz. I like North Carolina State at home against Florida State to cover okay. nine and a half of Florida FSU's State program. Like that, falling apart right now. Yeah, they're literally losing their best players who, you know, obviously it's been a disaster besides that. But, you know, that program is, has continued to reach new lows. Uh, they've done that yet again this week. 
Um, and I'm kind of with you. And, you know, you, you hinted at it a few times that this is maybe a letdown week for Notre Dame. And, you know, you go at Boston College, a Boston College team that put a scare into Clemson a couple of weeks ago. And granted, that was without Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, Boston College is five and three. Uh, Notre Dame's coming in feeling great about that game last weekend. I, I think it is a little bit of a trap spot. I, I wouldn't pick Notre Dame to lose, but I do like Boston College to cover a pretty big number at 13 and a half. Yeah, yeah. They, they, Boston College has a little bit of explosiveness to them. Like, keep an eye for your, for this guy, Zay Flowers. Really, really fun guy to watch on BC. Super explosive. Um, they have Hunter Long, a, a great tight end that, that probably could have played tight end at Notre Dame. Like, he's very, very good. But, but yeah, again, overall point, uh, it's a little bit less about BC than it is just a, Notre Dame maybe maybe getting caught sleeping a little bit here. But it, it should be enough for, for BC to, to keep this one within two touchdowns. I could definitely see that happening. All right, we'll wrap up with this. We got three matching games on this Wednesday ahead of us. Um, by the time this podcast is out, one of them at least will have probably already started. Doesn't matter. I want rapid fire picks, just winners for these three games. Eastern Michigan at Ball State. Ball State. Toledo at Western Michigan. That's a great one. Uh, give me Western at home. Central Michigan at Garrett Wolf U, Northern Illinois. Give me the fight in McElwain's, Central Michigan. All right. All right. There we have it. I love it. We got another great slate ahead on Saturday. We will be back next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.